Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Radlich. Also starring John Comer. Hope you're ready, Hollywood, because you're on trial. All right, good evening, everybody. This is On Trial, brought to you by the Rattledge in Broadcasting Network. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. Mr. Mark Radlich, and tonight the movie we'll be putting on trial is Christopher Nolan's Inception. I'll be prosecuting this mother and here to defend it, defend it far and wide to all the people of all the ages, my co-host, Mr. Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Lie with us for the defense, sir. <laughs> all right. Uh, this was one that I picked. And that's because, as I, as I said, my brother-in-law has been hounding me to watch this movie uh, for seven years, as he reminded me today. And I thought, okay, well, now's as good a time as any. That's literally the, all, as much thought as went into this show. Um, the other thing I'll say is uh, I'm kind of 50-50 on Chris Nolan, and I know the, the concept of Inception was not one that had initially attracted me to the movie, I'm just I'm not interested in dreamscape type movies that just don't interest me. So that's probably why I avoided it all these years. But I went into this one with an open mind. In fact, I went into it thinking I was going to defend the thing. So I really had to have an open mind. But turns out prosecuted. And boy, do I have a line of reasoning as to uh, why this movie is not, the, not as good as Rotten Tomatoes on it, who gave it a positive uh, to review would have to leave. But before we get there, Sean in here and uh, do not talk about uh, the movie a bit. Do your thing. Sean, can you hear me all? <clears throat> okay. For all I know, Mark, you just asked me if I wear ladies' underwear. And my answer to you and everybody else would be, wouldn't you like to know? Okay, so you got, so for the five minutes, it's just been inaudible nonsense. I heard most of it, except for the part where I think you tried to pitch it to me to do the trivia bit. Yep. (laughs) Hit it, babe. (laughs) Oh, blog talk radio. Die in a fire. So, uh, there really isn't just a whole lot of really fascinating trivia to go around with this one. Uh, You've got an ensemble cast that, of course, is led by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is one of my generation's more beloved actors, whose appeal I've just just never gotten. And I'm not even going to pretend to be remotely sorry, but I happen to enjoy him in this one. But... Otherwise, the cast is also rounded out by the likes of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is outstanding, Ellen Page, who is Ellen Page, uh, Marion Cotillard, who is superb, Ken Watanabe, who is 
nice kid, what a nobby. Tom Hardy is Tom Hardy. Uh, Dilip Rao is an actor who has been (laughs) in movies, movies with lines, movies you can see. Uh, Killian Murphy isn't really given just a, a whole lot of meat in this movie. But I like Killian Murphy, so I was glad to see him. Uh, Tom Berenger, and we also have the always wonderful Michael Caine. About all you really need to know about this is the fact that when Christopher Nolan initially presented an 80-page treatment to Warner Brothers back in 2002, uh, this was a horror film, which was going to be about dream themes and rooted in the very real and fascinating concept of lucid dreaming. Uh, However, he ended up ultimately setting that aside for a while, and instead, in the intervening years, he ended up making Batman Begins in 2005, uh, The Prestige in 2006, The Dark Knight in 2008, and he gave it six months of revisions, and Warner Brothers picked it up in February of 2009. Uh, it was ultimately filmed in a total of six countries, starting in Tokyo in June 19th, and ultimately wrapping in Canada in, on November 22nd of that year. Uh, Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers split the $160 million budget, uh, and in the end, it's, it did quite damn well. It ultimately ended up making $825.5 million at the box office. Uh, it won Academy Awards for, unsurprisingly, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. And it was ultimately nominated for an additional four, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and Best Original Score. So that's really about... It's otherwise there's not a whole lot more juicy stuff about it, except it's a Christopher Nolan movie. It is characteristically just a wee bit weird, and everybody seems to either love or hate it. And it's a good thing. It might be a good thing that we switched up on this because uh, you were not a fan, and. I, on the other hand, have always liked it. Uh, I'll concede that it really doesn't hold up quite so well on a second viewing, but well, still, it it's fun. I'll watch it anytime it happens to it happens to be on. It's it's, it's the ultimate uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't kick it out, kick it out of bed for eating crackers under the covers kind of movie. So, all right. So here we have a, and and just butt in if I become too inaudible, let me know, and I will uh, do what the Blog Talk Radio Solutions person told me, which is basically hang up and dial back in again. Um, Blog Talk Radio, you were the opposite of fucking Batman. (laughs) Uh, Yes, their solution. Unplug, plug it in. Anywho, our plot is basically this. we have Leonardo DiCaprio who plays a character who uh, does uh, industrial espionage. He steals uh, people through the use of dreams. And he's being a uh, wants a character. Plan idea 
perform an inception uh, on uh, the actor plays from from Batman uh, Begins. So he's by George. Uh, they recruit Ellen Page. Uh, they bring in Tom Hardy and a few others. And basically, they're going to create a multi-level sequence where they're going to. Try to convince this person that this idea is going. And the idea is break up his energy company that left him to go do doing. And the reason why he wants and how he wants to do that is, as he put in the film, they can no longer compete. So he is attempting to trick uh, Scarecrow into dissolving his own company and eliminating the competition for him. Um, and then the rest of it's just that. It's they're trying to get into the vault, as it were. Um, there's the initial dream where they're on the streets of Los Angeles, and immediately they're pursued by these projections, and these projections are based on with guns. Uh, where are you, Sean? I'm here. Okay. Um, wait, so wait, do you give me where I am as in where am I, give me where am I as in where am I located? Yeah, I just, there was a lot of, all, all of a sudden, like, it, there was just a lot of background noise. I'm like, are you in a crowd somewhere? <laughs> uh, no, okay. Well, I, I am kind of, I'm actually at, hey, free plug here. I'm at Urban Beans on 7th Street in Phoenix, uh, enjoying, enjoying a wonderful vegetarian breakfast burrito. I'm working late tonight, oh, good so... Food. I would go out somewhere where I can get a bite to eat. <laughs> All right, good for you. Uh, meanwhile, back in the city, second dream sequence, and then third, they're at a hospital somewhere. It looks like in the Alps. Uh, you know, uh, and this is where they're trying to get him to get into this safe where he finds the will, and this is going to convince him uh, because you know through the, his father's shame and disappointment that he should break up the company. Uh, Along the way, there's misfires, there's accidents, there's the added pressure of if they die in this dream, as opposed to waking up, this time they'll go to limbo, so that's an added danger. And this is also Leonardo DiCaprio can get home to his children. He is basically uh, on the run for murder, the murder of his wife, and over the course of the movie, you get more details about that. Um, there's, there's the secondary plot, I guess of him, you know, dealing and wrestling with the guilt of what he did. He didn't physically murder her, but spoiler alert, what you'll find is he planted the idea when they were living in the dream world that uh, and he didn't want to leave. So he put the idea, you know, that uh, I think it was, um, you know, that they were and she never get that thought out of her head. She ended up committing suicide uh, in, in the dream world. So he has guilt over that. Um, they do pull off the job. Yes. <laughs> he does go home, I guess, because the last thing you see is his totem, which if it falls, he's in the real world. And if, uh, if it keeps spinning he's in the dream world, and it's alluded to the, the last thing is the, to, the totem is still spinning. 
which tells you he's in the dream world, but it could be that the camera pulled away before it fell. So it's vague. It's ambiguous. That's, that's how the movie ends. All right. If it pleases the court. So John, we still, still basically hear me more or less. If it pleases the court, what now? I asked you um, if you could still hear me. Uh, yeah, you kind of you kind of cut out there for a little bit briefly, but yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. So that's the plot synopsis, as much of it as you could hear tonight. Uh, so here it goes. Here's here's my arguments against the movie. Um, I don't have a tremendous amount of them, but he, there are some problems, and and I think the biggest one is. If this is supposed to be a dream world, see, I feel like the, the, the movie's biggest attraction, and I'm going to compare it to a movie that did this successfully. If the movie's biggest attraction is the Wonderland feature, you know, they are in a dream world, a, room, uh, you know, a world where anything goes, anything can exist, it's all in your mind, it's, it's fancy. He went with bland action movie as his set piece. I mean, don't get me wrong, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help Sean with his argument here. It looks beautiful. These are wonderfully uh, beautiful, especially in IMAX you know, or Blu-ray, set pieces. But in terms of let your imagination run wild in a dream world where you are a god of your own making, it's extraordinarily bland. There's, it's just cars crashing into things and bullets flying, and you know the, the Los Angeles, a hotel, and a hospital on a snowy bank. Whoop de freaking do! And outside of one sequence where uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is dealing with is dealing with the uh, the rolling building and no gravity. If I didn't, if you didn't know this movie was Inception, you'd have no idea the dream world. You would assume this is your, you know, London has fallen or some shit. Or a James Bond movie. It's just a regular action movie. Now, there are certain scenes, especially early on, where you have the city falling in on itself and um, the, the bit with the explosions and whatnot, and the dreams crumbling. And those were interesting. But then for the, for the bulk of the movie, it all stops. And I guess what I'm saying is, think about The Matrix. Not the shitty sequels. Just the first one. The good one. <laughs> think about what they did there. They said, it's a dream world. It's Wonderland. Alice. Alice? Who the fuck is Alice? Sorry, it's a whole other thing. Um, in, once Neo knew he was in The Matrix... Neo could, could do Neo could do god stuff. They played with the visuals, they played with the characters' powers. I mean, they explained it in a in a tech way where oh you're you're uploading these abilities or where we're writing code to give you a giant bazooka. But ultimately, that's the fun of the movie. But this is fun in that respect. I'm not saying it's not a fun movie to watch because, let's face it, I, as much as anyone else, likes to watch shit blow up and people shoot at one another. But you have an opportunity, Mr. Nolan, to create 
fanciful, and you gave us the average shoot 'em up action movie look and in feel. That's probably the, the movie's biggest crime against cinema is lost opportunity. My second issue with this movie is they talk about the projections and these are the villains, basically. The, the movie has no standard villain as such. Everyone here is kind of a shady person, maybe with the exception of Ellen Page. Um, but as heist movies go, where everyone's basically a criminal, you know, I think Ocean and that sort of thing. Everyone there is kind of shitty, too. You know, it's thieves and bigger thieves. Okay, I get it. You know, we don't always have to have the white hat and the black hat. I, I'm fine with this. But if you're going to set your, your protagonists against an antagonist, you, you, one of the, I think, the, 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 the structural features of creating an antagonist is giving them some weight, something to, you know, giving your audience something to care about, even in the sense that they must be defeated. Basically hoping to get the job done. Which, which brings me to another issue, but I'll, let, me, let me finish with this last point. If you're not invested in their mission, this is, this is just spectacular. Because we don't care about any of the them. They're the, the Lucas bots from the Fantasy basically. The Ultron bots from the Age of Ultron. Uh, the Ultron. They're, they're just they're just, you know, mindless orcs from the trilogy. There's no substance to them, really no danger to them. I mean, other than you're watching them shoot guns at our, at our quote-unquote, you know, heroes, our protagonists. But that's it. You're not given any sort of central antagonist to focus on even. It's just video game nonsense. So I, I felt like when I, when I lost interest in the mission, I lost interest in the plot, all you're left with is guys shooting at one another, which is fine in a 90-minute movie, but for almost three hours, I wanted to throw myself out the fucking window. So, as I said, that brings me to yet another issue, and that is, uh, I'm going to keep going with Scarecrow. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Um, that the mark, okay? This is the this is the guy. The gig revolves around. They're trying to perform the inception on him, and he. They either needed to make him extraordinarily shitty so that you cheer for your protagonist and get a job done on him, or make him in some way the antagonist, defeating their purpose, working against them. And resisting the, their efforts. He just kind of goes along for the ride. And on top of that, he's a thoroughly interesting character. Like, the whole thing is that they're trying to get him to, to uh, break apart his company. And at, at a minimum, you should have, as an audience member, either said, yay, I, that's a great idea, go team lead, or boo, resist. <laughs> don't let them make, don't let them make you do it. And I was just ambivalent. 
I'm ambivalent because he's such a dry character. You know, the little bit of characterization they gave him was he thinks or he believes his dad was disappointed in him. And he does state in the movie that he has a shitty relationship or he had a shitty relationship with his dad. But that's not really enough to make me invested in this character. So they're carrying around this football that nobody cares about, basically, uh, which drags drags the movie. Now, if you're invested in just Leonardo DiCaprio and his, you know, internal struggle with uh, with guilt, that's fine. But that's not really the movie. That's a portion of it. It's a subplot. But everything else deals with the inception, and the inception wasn't interesting enough, in my opinion. Uh, I think. That, oh, well, I'm not going to talk about the ending. The ending is a personal issue for me, but I don't think that, well, no, I'll say this. You can get away, I think, in some movies with the vague, ambiguous endings. Works great in horror films. I don't know if it worked well in this one. And here's why. And, and, and this really is not just a personal preference. This really is a craft issue. At the minimum, they were trying to get you invested in the mission. And I feel like to leave it ambiguous at the very end to see if they actually accomplish the mission robs the audience of a certain satisfaction. I, I really do. I, I think that that's not, that goes beyond personal preference. I think to set this up, set this up, set this up, execute, and then maybe they got away with it, maybe they didn't. Maybe he's in the dream world. Maybe he's not. Who knows? <sighs> Seems cheap. Seems like, as a group, the writer, director, producers didn't want to plant a flag and definitively say something. They were just like, well, let's just leave it ambiguous. And, you know, you'll let the audience decide. And I don't know. That needs to have a purpose. Doing it for the sake of doing it seems lazy to me. So I shall now rest. Uh, uh, I shall now turn it over to the defense. Your witness, sir. Thank you, Your Holiness. Ladies and gentlemen of the jerky, I would posit that Inception, in fact, actually in its own way continues in a great tradition in principle of all great science fiction. Everything from Star Trek and Star Wars to the literature of Jules Verne, Isaac Asimov, and Arthur C. Clarke. It takes science fact and extrapolates it. And that in itself is the first brilliant element of Inception. It takes the nature of dreaming. It makes a real fairly documented if somewhat ambiguous anecdotal phenomenon of lucid dreaming and it makes a great proposition what if we can not only control our own dreams but what if we can control what someone else dreams it uh, in its own way it harkens a little bit to another movie that I happen to love and that's Minority Report which itself is based, is based on a short story by yet another great science fiction author, Philip K. Dick. 
it is, to say the least, an ambitious movie. Not only in visual, either. Oh, no. Because focus strictly on that is to miss just how far it really reaches in terms of its structure, in terms of its narrative, in terms of its characters. You have a movie that performs a juggling act that, to be quite honest with you, chooses not to treat its audience like idiots. It chooses to make them think, makes them wonder, makes them question right up to the end of it. It doesn't lay everything else out neatly. I was reminded after I saw this movie of how I fully expected to hear about the same reactions from people I knew who walked out of American Beauty and Fight Club and saying, I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. What happened? What? I didn't get that at the end. So the, the guy was just talking to himself the whole time that was going on. So, so Tyler was Jack and Jack was Tyler. Is that it? Because heaven forbid art make you actually burn a brain cell or two. No. It takes that structure and it makes you think. It makes you fight to keep up. And it leaves you with a sense of accomplishment when you really do understand everything that's going on. And as for the lack of investment, I couldn't disagree more. You know, I'm not the biggest Leonardo DiCaprio fan. In fact, off the top of my head, I could name these three movies he's been in where he was really genuinely enjoyable to watch to me. And and those three are What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Catch Me If You Can, and Inception. Objection. You're forgetting the Basketball Diaries. I didn't dig the Basketball Diaries, so overruled. <laughs> hey, I, hey! my point was that I had only enjoyed him in that many movies. If you like him in the Basketball Diaries, then by all means, enjoy your watching him jack off on a rooftop. <laughs> be, my, uh, be my bloody guest. You know, you have fun with that if that is what twists your snapple. <laughs> but in this case, I actually did find myself quite invested in Cobb. And in retrospect, I remember seeing the movie for the first time and initially thinking to myself, this was a role that would have been better played by Levitt. I got to think that this casting was somehow just an accident of, of paperwork, and they just didn't have the heart to tell Leo when he Leo when he said he was so happy to be playing Cobb that uh, you're supposed to be playing Arthur. But in hindsight, I see now that Nolan had been spending years trying to find the right project to work with DiCaprio on, but I could never quite convince him until Inception came along. And actually, in fact, folks, it could have been worse. Brad Pitt and Will Smith were both offered the role, too. Mm. So, by all means, chew on the movie we could have got. But the reason I've invested in him so much is because of two reasons, two things that he's got going on. 
And number one, the fact that he's a man who's tired of running. He spent years upon years upon years as a fugitive, never being able to settle down, never being able to really savor a life with the people that he loves. And he's desperate to bring that to an end. But at the same time, I harken back to what I believe is a Buddhist proverb, and I could have this wrong. And it states, in order to have everything, you have to give everything up. Donald Cobb is a man who can't give up his everything. He can't let go of his wife. He's determined through it all, even if it has to be veil in secrecy and endanger him and ultimately everybody he knows and cares about to hang on to her with an absolute utter death grip. He cannot and will not let go. And if that's something you can't relate to, then quite frankly, for all the movies that have, yes, I will admit, probably depicted this better, if that's something that you can't relate to and connect to, then I can only assume that you're somebody who has never experienced that kind of loss. Because at some point, we all have somebody, whether it's a significant other, a family member, a friend, that one way or another, be it by death or estrangement, we have to let go of. That is not always easy. Sometimes it's the hardest thing in, thing in the world to do, even though you know it's what would be best for both of you. It's the one thing that Cobb can't do, in part because it also means accepting some degree of responsibility for why she's gone, why she's dead in the first place. He may not have killed her. He may not have thrown her out the window. But he knows that it was him that put the pieces in in place that caused her mind to snap and caused her to walk out, walk out there and set it up so that if he didn't follow her, he would spend the rest of his life on the run for murder. Pat is absolutely, absolutely relatable, and for that. I have to, even if somewhat grudgingly, give DiCaprio credit that he pulls that off very, very well. As for the rest of it, ultimately, in a way, restraint is not a word that you see thrown around very often when it comes to Inception. But in terms of the action scene that he created... Personally, I actually have to give Nolan credit for not going the full-on, trippy, what-dreams-may-come route <laughs> with full-on, with full wacky surrealism. And don't, and don't get me wrong, that's another movie that I actually enjoy. But I don't think that would have suited what Nolan wanted to do here. It doesn't suit who Nolan is as an auteur. That's not his style. That's the kind of thing you bring in Guillermo del Toro for. But ultimately, this was his vision through and through. 
He wrote it. He championed it. He revised it. He directed it. This is a man's effort to take cinema beyond someplace where it had been. And for a man who is an avatar of, I don't want to say convoluted, misshapen and challenging narratives, narrative structures, that is saying something when it's challenging even by his standards. When you think about movies like Memento and Following that played so fast, that played so fast and loose with the order of events and made you have to think of things a little bit differently, just to keep pace with what with what was going on and to really warp your mind for that two hours and take yourself out of the way you see you see things such as causality. It was actually profoundly effective in my opinion. Now I will confess to some bias. I have got a massive hard on for heist films. Just in general. And I also love film Mufar. And this this is absolute this is absolute both. It's equal parts heist film and film and noir. I love it. I I love the chess match. I love the the moves and the counter moves, the strat the strategy and the misdirect and the misdirection and the defense. I love it. And to really have that play out, you needed to set it. Or to play out effectively, you needed to set it in a world that was somewhat grounded in the aesthetics of the real world. Because we're not exactly talking about the kind of especially creative people in terms of mindset who would exactly dream up some dream up your typical Alice in Wonderland, all the drugs on earth looks like looks like a box of Crayola crayons vomited on the screen landscape. These are people who would keep their dreams probably somewhat relatable because, well, they just don't seem to have a mind for much much else. It makes total sense to me. As for the ambiguity of... Yeah, as for the ambiguity of the ending. I even like that. I like the uncertainty. I like how it plays into the fact that art, to a certain extent, so often becomes our own. It takes on meaning that perhaps the artist didn't mean, but to us, the audience, the people receiving it, we see it through our own prism. We see it through our own smoke and mirrors, so to speak. And it becomes some, and that's how it becomes something that really embeds itself. Yeah, sometimes you hear a song and its mood couldn't be more opposite of what you actually what you actually feel because you're passing it through your own emotions and it's accepting some of those colors and carrying them forward. In my opinion, that's what the that's what the ending is. In a way, it is what you make of it. 
I mean, maybe it's just the way I view it, but I've always, I could swear that when you watch closely enough, you can just barely start to see that totem start to wobble just a little bit while it's spinning, like it's about to fall over. But it just barely doesn't quite. It's not that unlike how if you talk to some fans of Minority Report, they'll point out that there's a theory that the main character, and forgive me for as much as I like it, I, I have no mind for this stuff sometimes. Uh, Tom Cruise's character ultimately, quite possibly, the entire end of the movie has been him living out a dream just because of another interaction earlier in it. It's that fun you get to have with headcanon. It's not something you typically expect from Christopher Nolan, but it's there. He's the master of the unexpected when it comes to his when it comes to his endings. He's everything that M. Night Shyamalan wishes that he was. So, I would posit that while the movie has its flaws, especially in terms of the fact that, well, I disagree with it, I can understand how people would point out that it just becomes another blockbuster. Look deeper at this movie. Look deeper at what it tries to do with narrative, with character, with carrying out a kind of cerebral action that involves more than just what you see. Look even at Killian Murphy and the fact that, yeah, he could have really played it over the top one way or another, been immensely likable, been immensely dislikable. But actually, I like his subtlety. I like it because in his own way, it makes him a force on both sides. That subtlety, that evenness, it keeps him... Well, it makes him, for one thing, a mostly oblivious mark to this whole thing. By the same token, it also keeps him from feeling too out of place on either side of the equation, both as being the target and also as being ultimately somebody that we're rooting for, that we're rooting for because he, whether he likes it or knows it or not, and whether you would like it if you knew it or not, has a hand in helping complete his objective, which is ultimately to complete this mission, complete this job, so that he no longer has to run, and so that he can finally let go. The defense rests, my captain. Uh, my, my final argument... You know, I want to address one of the things that you said, because there is a point that I agree with, and that is if, if the movie just focuses on Leonardo DiCaprio struggling with his guilt and he meets Ellen Page and Ellen Page uh, through the course of their relationship, you know, gets him to confront this thing and deal with his guilt. OK, granted, it's, another, it's a whole other movie, but it's a much more, I think, rich and interesting movie uh, about a man using... Uh, dreams to one uh, deal with his, you know, live in his guilt, deal with his guilt, not not be be willing, not be willing to give up 
his lost love, but also you know, at the end working through that guilt and trying to come out a better man on the other side. Uh, Black Mirror Season 2 actually deals with this very same concept, and I thought it did 100% better. <clears throat> Had the movie been about his grief and anxiety and you know this relationship, it would have been more interesting to me. The best part of the movie Will about Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's awesome in the Basketball Diaries. Shut up! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Beyond whacking off on a roof, him screaming at the end—I can't get that out of my head. Um, say what you will about Leonardo DiCaprio, but I mean the man can act, uh, and he, he and well, I don't like much like I don't buy Tom Cruise as an action hero in the Jack Reacher sense of the word action hero. Um, you know, I don't buy Leonardo DiCaprio in that kind of role either, but I do buy him as a grieving widow, as an angst-ridden person wrestling with guilt. And those elements of the movies were, to me, the most uh, magnetic, the most interesting. Cop shoot cop, you know... <laughs> DC has fallen diehard elements of the movie distracted from what I, from really what I, the story that I wanted to see. I know that's why nobody went. (laughs) They wanted to see the stuff I just talked about, but none of that was interesting to me. Just more of the same. Him wrestling with his, uh, with all of these mental health stuff and the dream elements to it. And what Ellen Page brought to, you know, brought to her character in terms of somebody who is running a gamut of emotions. She's shocked by him. She's in a lot of ways disgusted by him. Um, she, you know, she is trying to help him. Um, and at some point, I think she takes the bulls by the horns and sort of pushes things in a certain direction. You know, all of that makes the movie for me. Everything else is almost a distraction. Here's the problem. It's like one third of the movie. And, and that's being generous. Two thirds of this movie is nonsense action. And as, as I said before, not, not interesting enough to keep me invested. You know, if not for that one third, the movie loses me entirely. So in that aspect, I do agree with Sean. That's some, of the, that's some of the best stuff. It's everything else to me that it's just like, ugh, okay, sure, why not? But the one thing I want to add here is, you know, Chris Nolan's a, a funny director. Here's a guy who specializes in visuals, creates just wonderful visuals, wonderful action set pieces. Who doesn't love the opening bit of The Dark Knight with the Joker's gang robbing the bank. It's incredible. And yet, boy, is his dialogue wordy. And, and, and I'm sure somebody hearing that, hi, Robert Winfrey, I'm sure somebody says, oh, rattled you dope. No, it's not that they don't get it. It's, it's how do you manage to create such a visually stunning movie that also includes large blocks of expository dialogue that just stop the movie cold. 
it, I've said this before with other movies. I said it last uh, two weeks ago with Big Trouble in Little China. You have to be careful with how you give exposition. You either have to make the visuals interesting while it's happening, or you have to do it in such a way that it's delivered, the audience gets it, and then we're back to the action again. This movie is a lot of people standing and yelling when they're not shooting. And it drove me nuts after a while. You know, it was... I watched some of this with my dad today and we both sort of looked at each other at the end of the movie and went, did you notice how it felt like it didn't follow its own rules at times? And, they, and the cast members kept yelling the rules at you. Th- that's what I got from this. And again, I think that's a flaw of the writing and the direction. Show me, don't tell me. And again, stop me putting so much effort in creating a beautiful van slowly falling off a bridge. And we put some of that energy into showing me some of the exposition that your characters are either screaming into the camera or Tom Hardy is mumbling. Jesus Christ. This was another one where I couldn't find a good volume to watch it at. People are either yelling or mumbling. So I'm going to give Sean the last word here, but that's, that's where I've landed with this thing. It's, it's very uneven the best parts are Leo's relationship. And I, I wish Chris Nolan would look at some of his movies and go, maybe this doesn't need to be yelled at the audience. Maybe there's another way to deliver this information. Maybe. I don't really have just a whole lot to add. Um, I think that Mark made some surprisingly relevant relevant points but <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly yeah surprisingly um, thanks <laughs> <laughs> but overall I feel like there's not much left to say that's necessarily in support of it it's got a brilliant ensemble ensemble cast, and yes, Christopher Nolan loves, Nolan loves his dialogue, but at the same time, yes, Tom Hardy being incomprehensible aside, when you have a cast like, a cast like that, why not give them plenty to do? I mean, he really made this, in its own way, an actor's, actor's movie for people like DiCaprio and Levitt and Hardy and although I'm not as much of a fan, Ellen Page and Killian Murphy and Ken Watanabe. All people for whom they're not action stars by nature. I mean, that's what makes all the action scenes seems to me both a bit admittedly inexplicable but also the fact that I'm impressed he was able to carry them off as well as he was with actors for whom that isn't exactly necessarily their bread and butter. I mean, yes, you can plug Tom Hardy into that as he's demonstrated numerous times and he'll pull it off beautifully. I think he's one of the best acting action stars of his generation. But... To do the same thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, 
people you don't and Killian oh and Killian Murphy, people you don't necessarily think of in that in that vein. I think that merits at least a little bit of appreciation. And I think that it really ultimately I didn't feel there was necessarily that much of an of an imbalance. Yes, it shifts gears distinctly. But somehow to me anyway, it still felt it still felt satisfying. I mean to make the dream world appealing, yeah, you had to make it fairly active, fairly active. It had to be action action packed. You couldn't have made it quite as rich as rich in dialogue as the first movie. Or the first half of the movie, I should say. I'm rambling a little bit and losing my focus because I also lost my on found my notes here because I lost my internet connection. Admittedly. Shut up. <laughs> although props although props to you whoever has the Wi Fi network that that's named Bill Murray Spy Fan Zero Six Zero Nine. You are kind of awesome. But I feel it's a movie that's best appreciated fully for what it is underneath all of that. You have to really look past the fact that the action is just a bit un just a bit unremarkable and see that you won't find too many stories quite like it, especially when it comes to the movie in its own way being a comment on making movies itself, which is really what else but the building of somebody's dream, bringing it to life and inserting players into it. You know, in a way, that's what the actors in any movie are. They're players in somebody else's dream. It's a bit high-minded, and I could see how some would perhaps view it as being, as being a bit pretentious. But still, when you really think about it, at a time when as moviegoers were absolutely howling for originality, when all we keep complaining about are oh, remakes and uh, sequels, not too many action movies that movies that all look alike and uh, nothing's got an original an original story. Do we really want to go so far as to shit too hard on something that's at least trying to do something different? I should say that tried. And that was wholly original. And that you can really point to few movies that are exactly like it. Quite frankly, I think it deserves to stand on its own merit. All right. Well, we leave it to you folks, the jury, to decide is this movie uh, guilty of pretension and nonsense or not guilty? And as everything Sean said it was, we leave it to you. You can uh, contact me on Twitter at Mark Rattledge. You can contact Sean. Sean, how can they contact you? Contact me on Twitter at Comer Codex, or you can always hit me up on Facebook. As always, I have multiple accounts. Look for the one that is represented by Iron Man's Mark One helmet. That's the me. other thing. That's the best way to the read other, me. <laughs> Okay. The other thing you can do is uh, the player is up on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network Facebook page. Feel free to leave a comment on it. 
Uh, Gavin and Robert Winfrey already have. Apparently, I'm dead to Robert Winfrey. Makes me sad. (laughs) But uh, this has been On Trial. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed talking about the movie. Even, you know, look, even, as I said uh, two weeks ago, even in the role of deconstructing these things and finding the flaws with them, I still enjoy talking about them. And and I certainly uh, enjoy the give and take with with Sean. So uh, I'm going to end it there. Uh, as far as plugs, just real quick, uh, this week, I'm going to pull up my calendar here. So uh, on Monday, there we had the, here we go, we had the So What's Your, what's your Reading special on source material. Uh, Robert Cooper, Robert Winfrey, and I talked Voltron Legendary Defender Season 2 on Tuesday. Uh, yesterday, I was mostly audible for this show. We reviewed Firewind's Immortals and uh, yelled out, this is Sparta, any number of times. But lots of fun was had. Uh, Friday night, the So What's Your Reading special part two. I believe I'm on that one. Talking Moon Knight, talking Batman, Mad Love, and I believe uh, Green Lantern Rebirth. Yep, I'm, di- I'm deep diving into the list you gave me like two years ago and trying to get through all those books. Uh <clears throat> Sunday, we've got the 401 Ground and Pound show. On Monday, so what you're reading, part three. Uh, Pat will be on. We'll finally get into T, uh, Fuller House season two on Tuesday. That's our TV party for the week. I got through all of season two. And, and, and maybe it's the oxygen deprivation, but I laughed any number of times. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed season two. I only had to fast forward through a few things maybe once or twice because it was too well, much to bear. that's it. The brain bleeding has set in. <laughs> a tumor the size of a large stone. Um, Wednesday on the Metal Hammer of Doom, uh, we'll be reviewing Creator Gods of Violence. Our start time will be 10.30 because uh, Robert Cooper doesn't get out of work till 10. And then uh, Gavin and his... Uh, uh, we'll be coming back for Because Name Made Me. And this, uh, this, uh, we're, we're still working through his Paul Thomas Anderson movies. So, God help me, I'm going to watch The Master. And we'll review it together. God help us all. Uh, and, last, <laughs> and lastly, um, next, uh, in, in uh, two weeks, the TV party will be Black Mirror Season 2. And we'll, on the Metal Hammer of Doom, we'll be reviewing If He Dies, which is my friend's band from New York. Hi, Frank Morofsky. He plays drums. And our next on trial, and this will be the, my last plug, our next on trial, Sean's pick. No, there'll be no damn you Hollywood for the new Resident Evil release, which has got a pretty rotten uh, rating so far. But that doesn't stop us from going back in the archives and looking at the original. So we'll be putting Resident Evil on trial. And I guess you're defending and I'm prosecuting, right? Uh, no. Actually, since I have defended two weeks in a row... I'm going to do something that is not going to be, well, at the same time, it's going to be both not easy and it's going to be interesting. And I'm actually going to prosecute a movie that I genuinely liked. Okay. I'm putting it in my notes. You, you all heard me. I'm, wait, I'm, what am I doing? <laughs> am I prosecuting or defending? Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you are going to be, you're going to be uh, defending Resident okay. Evil. Okay. Good. Good. 
the law firm of Radulich, Radulich, and Jew will be open to, to defend all crap movies. <laughs> the crap yeah, defender the, the, is on the rise. Yeah, the um, the really good news being, I'm just going to come right out and say it because I've heard both sides of both sides of this. You might very well have the hard job this time out. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. Well, I'm, uh, February is going to be fun for me because not only will I be defending Resident Evil, uh, I will also be, I demand to be, there's, there's no, there's no debate. I, I do. I often defer. I am awful willing to negotiate, but on this, there will be no such negotiations. I will defend Catwoman. God damn it. <laughs> I, I will make a cogent argument in favor of this movie. This, I, de- this, I promise you. Okay, 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 okay. Hang on a second here. Let me ask you something. Sure. Are you wanting to defend this movie because you... God, please, don't let, don't let your answer be the sum of all my fears. Actually like <laughs> it? I've only seen parts of it. Or... Are you wanting to defend this because you actually think it's going to be legitimately a challenge and you're trying to really flex your cerebral muscle? Um, well, like I said, I've only seen parts of it. Uh, this will be the first time I'm going to sit through the whole thing straight through. And it, more of the second one than the first. I feel mm. like I feel like I'm very, very good, whether it be professionally, personally, or as a, as a movie reviewer in finding the good in things. I feel like I can, I really can identify the objectively good in something or someone. And I, I want to put that to the test. I well, want to you know, show I'll, people. I'll give you, I, I, will, I will give you even more credit, actually. Um, I will say you're actually good at both ends. Because in the times I've listened to you review something, or various things, I should say, um, I have heard you I've heard you both miraculously find the good in something that I thought was horrendous and make a compelling argument to the point where I had to say, All right, I get where you're coming from and at the same at the same time, Luke, I've also heard you, Cage, um <laughs> come up with absolute utter heaps <laughs> of inse- of insane, not even remotely as good as the finale of The Wire, uh, praise for something that made me sit there after I had watched it and knowing you had watched it, hearing what you thought, and say, did we watch the same <laughs> goddamn thing? Um... So I've I've, see, I've seen you do I've seen you do both I've seen you find the find the good in something I've seen and I've also at times heard heard you you know nitpick things kind of unnecessarily um, so I, I'm interested to hear that and actually speaking of I I just recently just now everybody as soon as I say this I'm just gonna say this preemptively shut up leave me alone um, saw a movie that you had a very interesting take on and that's Civil War. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just recently saw it. Uh, I did not mind 
the ending as much as you did. My issue with it is the fact that the string of Marvel doing terrible villains continues. Oh, God. You ain't kidding, Buster. Yeah, I, I just... No investment whatsoever in Zemo. Absolutely none. Um, Could have replaced him with a paper bag. Oh, easily. Easily, easily. I just... I, 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 I think Winfrey and I said the villain needed to be uh, what's his face, um, General Who's he? What's he from the Hulk? Who's now the General uh, General Ross? Yeah, the, the villain needed to be General Ross, um, not stupid Zemo. That that was a waste. But I'm sorry, go on. I, I guess I guess they didn't want to go full bad guy with him, um, which I don't understand because in the comics he is not a good guy. He's not a villain, but he's not a good person either. He is not some he's not somebody you even remotely root for. I actually thought the movie had its had its high points. It had its things that I liked. Uh I thought that Pepper uh Pepper's absence being reduced to a half assed exposition dump that didn't even sound like Robert Downey Junior gave <laughs> gave a dribbling shit about. Uh, I I thought that was pretty paltry. Um, you know, I I continue to not be very fond of the way that they've dealt with Tony's PTSD, or rather the, their lack of dealing with it. Uh, I, I truly always have and always will loathe Hawkeye being re- being reduced to a joke. But when in the comics, he's such an excellent character. Um. God, if, if we sit here and talk talk about everything I've hated about the way they've treated Black Widow, we'll be here all goddamn night. Um, <laughs> as opposed to having a surprisingly succinct uh, one-hour show. Um, but I don't know. I, it's it's one of those weird times where I kind of sort of agreed with you. and At the same time, I went, you know, yeah. It's flawed, and I could point out exactly where it's deeply flawed, but damn if I'm not enjoying this anyway. All right, let, let me revisit this one second, and I'm only going to do this in like 50 words or less. I, I distinctly remember saying I liked the movie up until the end, and in retrospect, I went a little crazy on the review, I was, I, and I'm still mad about it. I mean, I have watched Civil War two or three times, since I saw it in the movies and, and reviewed it with, with uh, Winfrey. And I stand by, that's the worst scene in the movie, and it took me out of it. But up until then, it was fine. I was enjoying the movie. So it's not like I don't like the movie. I enjoyed it. I just, it just gets to that reveal, and it's a big eye roll for me. And then, you know, as I'm saying this, it's, they they move past it quickly enough, and then it's just then it's just the, the triple the triple threat match between the, 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 the three characters, and I do like the way that it finally ends, you know, with you know with him uh, nearly killing Tony and and showing just a modicum of restraint, and then Tony yelling back at him as if you know he he he, he knows he lost the fight, but he's not willing to uh, subvert himself. He has to. He has to somehow. He has to take home something, and so he's just like you know you don't you don't deserve the shield, 
and as if to say, mm-hmm. nothing you do will ever be as good as I'll ever be. He just throws the shield down and goes, fine, you can have it. Yeah. Which I did love. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking, we're talking about like two to five minutes of film that enraged me to the point where I, it was hard for me to remember. I liked everything else about it. So, I, I, you know, in retrospect, I might have been a little too hard on the beaver. But um, I'll give you that one. But, I, you know, going forward, you know, as you said, I think, I think I can do both. I think I can come up with, and God knows Melissa has heard me do it, some real nonsensical <laughs> logic by chance arguments uh, defending certain things, including my own behavior. But then, I, you know, but then I'm trying <laughs> Um, but I also want to take this, I don't want this show to devolve into, you know, the, what, what PC Live became, which was just a parody of, of a political talk show. Uh, so I'm going to take it seriously. I really am going to struggle and try to pull the nuggets of, of, of uh, goodness out of some dreck that I've nominated. I can't wait for it. I can't wait till we get to uh, the one with, <laughs> the one with uh, Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu. Okay, but I'm warning you, when it comes to Catwoman, you only get to throw Halle Berry's boobs out there once. <laughs> uh, if you want to really make this really challenging for me, you can just take it off the table now, okay? You, you can, no, I'm going to be merciful, and I'm going to go ahead and let you have that one. But you cannot <laughs> answer everything I'm going to put out there. <laughs> This is the worst acting I've ever seen. Yeah, but Halle Berry's boobs, sir. I <laughs> <laughs> hey, go ahead and do your yeah, you, 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 can, you cannot throw out there Catwoman and the sweater kit. <laughs> I, I, duly noted, sir. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Go ahead and throw your plugs out there, and then let's bring this puppy to a close. Okay, I really only got one plug to toss out there this week, and that is the fact that this coming Sunday night um, over on fpgnews.com. Uh, you might want to mosey, mosey over there right around 4 p.m. Mountain Time uh, because I am going to have live streaming segment-by-segment coverage of one of my favorite WWE live events of the year, the Royal Rumble. Um, this year, it actually looks like it might possibly be surprisingly good after a couple of off years. Uh, I am most definitely looking forward to watching AJ Styles and John Cena because I'm starting to believe that those two just don't physically have it in them to have a bad match with each other. God, that was not something I ever thought I would ever say about AJ Styles and John Cena. Um, <laughs> uh, but this year, there's actually a little bit of mystery as to who's probably going to win the Rumble. Uh, some people are saying that are saying it's going to be the Undertaker. Some people it's going to say are saying that Samoa Joe. Uh, personally, uh, and hey, come at me, bros, with the flack. But I think you, I think it couldn't be more interesting than going with either. The Miz or Jericho, because no. if if there are 
if there are two guys who have earned it this past year, it is those two. Uh, because they, they're the two people, they're two of the several people I could point to who have once more elevated being a heel to an art form. Uh, it's just nothing less than, than art. And uh, in particular, has demonstrated why he, why he may be the most unappreciated performer in the business. But anyway, the way this works is you go there, you click on the article, you hit refresh every so often. Every so often, as I update backstage segments, the the individual matches, I have no idea how frequently I'm going to be updating uh, the actual rumble as it happens. Um, That one right there is going to be me throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. But just a reminder, I do this for all WWE Network Live events, uh, except for NXT. We have other people who cover NXT for us. But... Yeah, stop on by. Give us your clicks. Keep refreshing. Spend some time. Comment here and there if you would like. If you would like to, but Sunday night after I spent Saturday basking in the warm glow of NX of NXT Takeover, that is where I am going to be. So thank you as always, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you if you listen live. Thank you if you download. Thank you if you pass this along to friends. Uh, without you, there would be no us doing what we love, what we love to do. So, as always, before Mark takes us out, I am going going to say once again, thank you. Remember that twenty dollars will buy mini peanuts, and never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. All right, everybody, it's been real. It's been a show. Be well, be safe, and behave. 